Well, today we're going to be looking at a passage that uh, you've already actually heard read uh, this evening, and that's a passage from uh, John chapter 19. John chapter 19. It really, this passage in John chapter 19, uh, verse 28, we're going to be reading from, and we're going to be focusing in on, really, uh, in the original language, one word. Uh, one word of Jesus. We're going to be focusing in on a, a word that Jesus gives that is really a victory cry. Uh, if you have your Bibles there, open up to John uh, chapter 19, verse 28. Um, I'm going to read and uh, then pray for us as we get stuck into today's message. John says, After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. Let's pray. Lord, this morning we thank you for your word. A powerful word, a word of victory and a word of new life. Lord, I pray this morning as I open up your word, would you help me? Would you help me to point people to Jesus? And may we go away deeply encouraged, afresh, with strength as we meet the mighty King, Jesus, in whose name I pray. Amen. Well, I want to start this morning with uh, a picture, a picture that you should see up on your screen uh, in in front of you. It's about V-Day, May the 7th, 1945. In fact, this picture was taken on May the 8th, uh, 1945. May the 7th, Germany declared uh, declared themselves as in defeated. They announced defeat. Uh, the Allied forces officially won the war. And there was massive, massive celebration in uh, all Allied countries all around the world. You see, in the United Kingdom, about 1% of the population had been killed in the war. People had suffered for six years under austerity measures with little food, uh, with little comfort, with the saying, make, do and mend. A difficult, oppressive time. And on May the 8th, here we see Winston Churchill with over a million people before him announcing V for victory. Victory. We've won it. We've defeated Germany. The war is over. And people celebrated. People were dancing on the streets. People were rejoicing at this amazing, amazing victory. The end of a a world war that killed some estimated 75 million people. Or one of the greatest days of victory that the world has ever seen. V-Day. Well, this Easter uh, at Sovereign Grace, at this church, we're looking at a victory that is even greater still. The greatest victory the world has ever seen. The greatest victory that the world has ever seen, and yet it looks anything like a victory. It looks, on one level, nothing like a victory at all. 
You know, I don't know uh, how you've sort of wound up here this morning. Maybe you've got a friend and they've been nagging you and they've been nagging you and they've been nagging you and here you are this evening at church. Or maybe you've come along with some family members or a next door neighbor who invited you along. I don't know what's brought you along here today. But on one level, it appears to be the most tragic of deaths, doesn't it? Jesus Christ being slowly killed on a Roman cross. Agony, torture, brutality. Humanity at its worst. Tragedy upon tragedy. Failure. Something that that went horribly wrong. It seems this way, doesn't it? I mean, even for me, growing up in a Christian family, I used to look at Easter and I used to wonder, you know, how is this a victory? How is, how is this a victory? I mean, how is this a victory cry? How is this a cause for celebration? How is the cross a victory? Well, that's the question we'll be trying to answer across uh, our services this Easter and tonight as we get stuck into this God's Word. This Good Friday, we're going to look at Jesus on the cross and we're going to focus in on what I mentioned before, that one word Jesus gives. For us, a small sentence, but one word he gives. That, that, that three in English words, it is finished. The greatest victory cry the world has ever heard. Well, we've got three points for those that take notes this morning. I'm going to spend the most of the time on the first point, so why don't we get stuck in? Point one, victory over suffering. Victory over suffering. This morning we're going to look at the depth of suffering that Christ endured on the cross to see how it's a victory. I want to start with a question. I mean, who would you say Jesus is? If someone was to ask you, who would you say he is? Would you say he's a teacher? Maybe for you he's a wise person. Maybe for you he's a prophet or he's a religious figure or he's a moral leader. Well, in the Bible, it's crystal clear who Jesus is. There's no question whatsoever. Jesus is God the Son. I want to begin with reading uh, from the very beginning of the passage I read earlier. John chapter 1, verse 1. It should be up on your screen. John writes at the beginning of his gospel. He says, In the beginning, the word, that's Jesus... In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word, that's Jesus, remember, was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. And without Him was not anything that was made. In Him was life. And the life was the light of men. John begins with a crystal clear encouragement. This one who I'm going to write about, Jesus, he is God. He is God the Son. You know, I've been thinking about, in light of this passage, the Easter story a little bit this week, and I thought it's kind of a little bit like this. I mean, it's like me baking. I mean, I try to bake sometimes. It doesn't really often turn out very well, but I give it a go, and it's like me baking a batch of cookies something I've made, and then deciding that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to become a cookie. I mean, it's crazy. It's ludicrous. And yet, at the beginning of the Easter story, this is what we see. The maker of heaven and earth, the one who made all that there is, becoming one of the creatures he had made. 
imagine with me the events of Easter now as they unfold. I mean, I want you to just to sit there and, and just imagine with me now the story of Easter that we've been talking about as it unfolds in light of this, that God has become a man. Where, where he was born, God as he came. Born into squalor. Born into a poor family in a country town. He was a tradesman, a carpenter. He had no degrees or study. He never traveled outside his home country. He didn't own his own home. He was never married. And he spent the latter years of his life homeless. I mean, if you would have met him, you would have just met a poor tradie. God humbled as a man. But it goes on, he wasn't just born into squalor. God didn't just come into squalor. He was betrayed. He was betrayed. He had a small group of followers that followed him. And throughout his ministry, he became increasingly unpopular until Friday the 3rd, uh, on the 33rd year uh, A.D., he was betrayed. He was betrayed in the early hours of the morning as he prayed, and he was betrayed by Judas, who we often forget was a close friend. Sold him for 30 pieces of silver. God the Son betrayed. But he wasn't just betrayed, he was abandoned. As a group of soldiers came and arrested him, by Judas's lead, they took him. And how did his disciples respond? Did they rally to his cause? Did they come to his defense? No, they fled and they hid. Abandoned by everyone. Peter, one of his closest friends in the whole world three times, says, I don't even know this man. The son of God, God the Son, born into squalor, betrayed by his friends, now abandoned by his friends. But it goes on. Though he was completely innocent. The group of soldiers, they bind him, they mock him, they strike him, they take him to Annas, who was the former high priest of Jerusalem, and, and they try to trap him in his words, but Jesus won't give them anything. He's not saying anything at all, and so they're frustrated. So Annas gets Jesus, and he sends him to his son-in-law, Caiaphas, who's now the, the, the chief priest in Jerusalem. And, and Caiaphas interrogates him and brings all these witnesses, but it's absolute kerfuffle. People have like uh, different testimonies. It's confusing. And, and Caiaphas is pulling his hair out. He's so frustrated at what's going on. He just says, at, when he's lost his wits, end, he says, I adjure you by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Caiaphas says in Matthew 26, 63. And Jesus gives him the the words that would seal his fate. The death he had come to die. Jesus says, you have said so. But I tell you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds 
of heaven. Jesus is crystal clear. And for those that are listening, it's blasphemy. It's absolute blasphemy. You can see Caiaphas as he almost sighs in relief. He's got the verdict he wants. And so he cries out, blasphemy, verdict, death. We must kill this man. We must have this man. He must die for he claims to be on par with God. The court case, the mock trial by candlelight is over. And they take him and they bring him to Pilate the Roman governor of Jerusalem. And they wake Pilate up. It's the early hours of Friday morning. It's still dark. And Pilate is he's already suspicious. He's a seasoned judge. He's, he's familiar with these conspiracies. He suspects the Jews are jealous of Jesus. And he's even more suspicious when they ask him to kill this Galilean prophet. And so... Pilate takes Jesus in and he interrogates him. He questions him. And in the end, he says in Luke 23, I find no guilt in this man. This man is innocent. And he offers the release of Jesus as the pardoned prisoner of the uh, Passover instead of Barabbas, a thief and a murderer. But when he offers him up, the crowd says in reply, no, not this man, but Barabbas. And and, and Pilate is perplexed, he's confused. Why would they want this man instead? So to satisfy their cries, to satisfy their bloodthirst, thinking he can curb it, he takes Jesus and he has him viciously flogged. He has him beaten with a cat of nine tails, a whip with bits of glass and pottery on the end designed to tenderize and, and, and to tear the flesh. And they whip him. And they whip him. And he is a bleeding mess. They put a crown of thorns on his head and they press it in until he bleeds from the crown. And and they mock him. Here, the king of the Jews. But Pilate's plan doesn't work. No, it has the opposite effect. It it fans their, their lust for blood into flames. And they cry out, crucify him. Crucify him. And Pilate... Pilate is perplexed. He says, why? What has this man done wrong? And the crowd answers. It says, they say, he has made himself the son of God. And what does the Bible say? Pilate's response is, he is afraid. He is afraid. He begins to question. Well, Roman gods could could be disguised as, as men, so... Is this man really God? Could this be true that this man is in fact the Son of God? And the Bible says that then Pilate sought to by any means have him released to them, have them have him set free, but they moved to press him into a trap. They say to him, If you release this man, You are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. They are questioning his loyalty to Caesar and he is trapped. He has no choice now but to send him to the cross. But it was God's will. But God is in control. 
despite the cruelty, despite the evil, despite the shame, despite the injustice. This was no accident for God had ordained the whole situation. Jesus was born to die. This was his mission to die. Jesus says earlier to his disciples, he says in John 15, greater love has no one than this. That someone laid down his life for his friends. And he says to Pilate in this moment, you, Pilate, would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. He's laying down his life, it's wickedness, it's evil, and yet he lays it down. And so they take him to the cross and he suffers. And he suffers pain. The walk from Jerusalem, from Pilate's uh, uh, palace to, through to the hill, Golgotha, was only 500 meters. And yet Jesus is so weakened by his vicious beating and so exhausted, he can barely walk it. As he carries that 40-pound crossbar along the road, he stumbles and falls. And they have to ask a stranger to pick it up and carry it for him. He's so weak from the beating. And they mock him as, they, as he walks. And they spit on him as he walks. And you can see in his eyes, he's, he's determined. He's going to go through with it. They take him to the hill and they stretch him out. And they pull his wrists out as, he's, as his back burns against the, the heavy beam. And they take nails and they drive it into his wrists. And the Savior screams in agony as he lies there. And his suffering continues. They stretch him out and they lift him up. And they mock him. They, they mock him from beside. The, the other men crucified on either side, they mock him. They call out insults. And they mock him from below. Take yourself off that cross. If you are the king, save yourself. Not realizing that they could not be saved if he did take himself down from that cross. And slowly in nakedness, in shame. He hangs there suffocating. The pain he suffers. But friends, this, this evening, if we think his physical suffering on the cross is all that he's suffered, we have missed the point completely. We have missed his greatest suffering completely because he suffers the wrath of God. God the Son looks up to the heavens and he sees his Father, the Father who loved him from the beginning of all time. A million times greater love than the greatest love we've ever seen. You know, I, I was thinking this week of, of great love between fathers and, and sons, like, like guys like John Bush in our church who just loves his children so much. But as the son looks to the father, he sees an eternal love, a love a million times fold greater, a love so great, the greatest love in all the world he sees. And God turns to pour out his anger upon his son, his anger for all the evil, all the wickedness in the world. His anger burns against his son. You blasphemer, you adulterer, you thief and liar, abuser of animals, abuser of children. 
worshipper of false gods, selfish and proud. He burns. You, you are faithless. You are heartless. You are ruthless. And the son screams in agony as his father turns his face away. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he hangs on the cross, bearing God's anger for our sins in his body. And God curses him instead of cursing us. And so he cries, It is finished. His work of suffering finished. Suffering for us. The greatest suffering the world has ever seen to buy us a future free from suffering. His victory sealed and he is clear. He gives up his spirit. His cry of victory, his cry of victory over suffering, it is finished. Point one, point two, not just victory over suffering, victory over sacrifice. We might be here this evening as someone who's not religious. You don't normally go to church and you don't normally read the Bible and you don't normally pray. But I put to you, sacrifice is something we all do. We all sacrifice. We sacrifice at many altars for things we crave, for things we desire, for things we want. Things that we think to ourselves, if I have that, if I have that one thing, I'll be satisfied, I'll I'll be respected, I'll be happy, my my life will will have meaning, will have purpose. Just if I if I have that, that one thing. You know, I was thinking about it just this week at work. Um uh relationships we sacrifice for, don't we? You know, when that person you see who comes along and suddenly they're decked out in Rabido's gear, you know, they've got the jersey, the hat, the shoes, the whole thing, the flag, and you think I, I, I didn't even think you liked the NRA. I didn't even think you liked the footy. And then you stop and remember and you go, oh yeah, that's right, in a relationship. And you suddenly realize, sacrifice for the sake of something else. You know, I'm willing to give that up, that I might have that one thing I want. Or, or for health, we give up, don't we? You know, the craze at the moment, the Kayla, Kayla workout, 12 weeks, get your bikini body in 12 weeks. And you know, I was thinking about this week, there's a guy here in church who's gone through the Kayla workout and he comes to uh, our Sovereign Grace Fitness uh, group and he's like, man, I'm hungry, I'm so hungry. And the guys are pleading with him, man, it's not worth it. It's not worth it, brother. You know, give it away. You don't want that. You don't want to look like Kayla. I mean, (laughs) sacrifices or career. I mean, classic for career, those late nights, working back at the office, you know, the trips interstate, the pressure, the, the difficult colleagues, but the, 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 the thought that you sacrifice a little bit now with the family and then, and then bam, you know, that career I've always wanted. Or, or, or family. The kids, you know, the kids that, you know, around here seem to need to do everything, you know, play a musical instrument or two, a sport both summer and winter, and there's a school play. I mean, we need to be in school plays, right? That's important. And parent-teacher nights and tutoring. And I think for me and my family, there's four of us. I don't know how my parents did it. Sacrificing. Sacrificing for something else. We think, oh, yeah, you know, I want my kids to do well. 
or for mortgage or for popularity or for holidays. We sacrifice to get things we want. But the problem is we can begin to think this way when it comes to God. Sacrifice a bit now and and I'll be right with God. You know, uh, a group of people here from church, we often uh, do this thing where we go out and talk to people around Hornsby and do spiritual surveys and talking about Jesus. And from talking to people around here in, in Hornsby, I get the feel that you know, most people have a sense that there's, there's God. I mean, most people would, would say they believe that there's God, but, but some people are extreme religious. I mean, there's some people that are really extreme about religious and fasting and praying and worshipping, even idols, that they might, you know, get right with God, they might make it with Him. But for most people, I think, most people, we take the attitude, just, she'll be right. You know, I'll be fine when it, when it comes to God. You know, maybe I'll do a few good things here in this life. After all, you know, uh, we're good people, aren't we? So I, I won't be greedy, you know, I won't do anything seriously wrong. I'll do the best for my family. I'll sacrifice a little. And I'll be all right with God. But the problem is, He is the only one that our sacrifices can't buy. He is the only one for whom being a good person will not help you. You know, being a good person will not help you make it with God. Giving up swearing or praying or praying more, or going to church, or stopping looking at porn, good things, but no help. Why? Because the cost is too great. The Bible says we've turned our backs on God. We are, as a result, cut off from Him, our Maker. He is the only one for whom we were made. He is our Creator, who we were made to enjoy Him, and And He's the only one that really satisfies. He's the only one that really will give us fulfillment that will last. I mean, all the things we chase after in life, they satisfy for a season, but it does not last. It promises much. It does not fulfill. And we've offended Him, our Maker, and we're cut off from Him. And His death on the cross is the one true sacrifice. His death on the cross is the one sacrifice that pays it all in full. Jesus' blood is the only sacrifice with the power to wash away sins completely. Wrongdoing completely. You see, God in the older part of the Bible, the Old Testament, gave His people sacrifice to help them see that sin has a cost. And the cost of sin, doing wrong things, is blood blood must be spilt. And so in doing so, he was pointing to Jesus and his one true sacrifice that washes us clean. Jesus laid down his life to bring us to God. You know, the Apostle Peter puts it this way. He says this in 1 Peter 3.18. He says, For Christ also suffered, how many times? Once. For sins the righteous for the unrighteous, the good for the bad, that He might bring us to God. For Christ suffered once for sins. The righteous, the good man, for the unrighteous, the bad, that's us. Why? To bring us to God. You know, every other religion is about what you can do to please God. Christianity is all about what's been done already for you. 
Every other faith says, sacrifice a little more to reach God. Jesus says, nothing you can do will ever help you to reach me. Just trust in what I've done. Well, Jesus Christ, it is finished. It is victory, not just over suffering, but it's victory over sacrifice. It's the end of all sacrifices to please God. Well, point three, victory over Satan. You might be sitting here and you scoff at the idea of Satan. You think, you know, Satan in pop culture, like, you know, a little guy with a ha-ha, evil laugh and a pitchfork and flames. And he's kind of cute. He's kind of, you know, he just kind of like, you know, says kind of usually good advice to people about different things. It's slightly naughty advice to people. You know, horned devil with a pitchfork. But that's not what the Bible describes as Satan. Satan literally in Hebrew just means enemy. He's the enemy. Blasphemer, slanderer is another title for Satan. And another one that I want to focus in on today, an even more powerful one that he's referred to in the Bible is the accuser. The accuser. See, growing up uh, down in Wollongong, where I'm from, my dad was a crown prosecutor. He was a crown prosecutor. So he was responsible for prosecuting people that had committed serious offenses against, uh, against the state. So things like uh, 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 child sexual assault or serious crime like uh, murder or rape or things of that nature. And I can remember one time going along with my dad to court and being with him as he was prosecuting a trial. My dad's job as a prosecutor is to bring all the charges against the accused, to bring the case against the accused as to why they should be found guilty. I can remember uh, after a trial, uh, one of the accused turning around and saying to me, oh, so you reckon I did it, mate? I was like terrified, like I didn't know what to say. But I thought to myself, uh, yeah, I think you did. <laughs> but I just kind of shrugged I mean, in the end. But the accuser. You see, Satan stands before God as the prosecutor in your trial and he accuses you. He accuses you of everything you've done before in your life against God. And you might be sitting here and think, oh, well, I'm not that bad. He wouldn't have anything to say. And my question to you is this. Have you loved the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength? And even on that first command, we all have to admit defeat, don't we? We haven't. We've failed. We've been selfish. We've had other gods, other things before him. And so charge number one before God, as you stand before him, reads, you have rejected God, your maker, and lived for yourself. And all of us stand condemned. And yet at the cross we see his defeat. You know, he had tried to convince Peter to avoid the cross. You know, Peter rebukes Jesus. Jesus is saying to Peter, he's talking about how, how he has to go to Jerusalem and be mocked and crucified and killed. And then three days later, he's going to rise from the dead. And Peter says, far be it from you. No way, Jesus, are you going to do that. And Jesus, what does he say in response to Peter? He says, Get behind me, Satan, for you don't have the things of God in mind, but the things of man. He tries to convince him to avoid the cross, but at the cross, Jesus defeats him. 
Jesus says it this way in John chapter 12. He says, Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world, that's Satan, be cast out. And when I am lifted up from the earth, that is the cross. When I am lifted up from the earth, will I will draw all people to myself, says Jesus. You know, without Jesus and his blood, we can't come to him. We stand guilty as charged. But for those who receive the blood of the Lamb, we are drawn near to Him. We come to Him. In that great court case, the answer, the verdict as we stand before the judge is not guilty. Why? Because paid in full by my son, says God. The judge, in fact, stands, comes down from the bench and takes our place. God the Son dying on a cross in our place. Paul says this. He says in Romans chapter 8, there is no condemnation. That word means guilty verdict. There is no guilty verdict for those in Christ Jesus. I want to ask you, are you here this morning plagued by a guilty conscience? Plagued by an awareness awareness of wrongs you've committed, things that you can in and of yourself never make right. And Jesus says to you this morning, if that's you, or this evening, if that's you, there is no sin too great. The power of my blood, the power of the cross is greater still. Name your sin. Abortion, lying, adultery, cheating, corruption, pornography. God himself has shed his own blood to set you free. Victory over suffering. Victory over sacrifice. Victory over Satan. Well, in closing, how should we respond to the great victory cry? How should we respond? Well, I think there's a few types of people that I just, I just want to address this morning, this evening. I, I mean, maybe you're someone sitting here this evening who's been following Jesus. You've been following Jesus for a long time, but, but just tonight you're, you're aware that you need to spend some time just reflecting on the cross, remembering afresh all that Christ has done for you. Well, Jesse and the guys from the band are going to come up and they're going to play another closing song for us. And, and we're going to end with an extended time just to sit and respond. Sit, spend some time sitting at the feet of Jesus and, and just reflecting on all he's done for us. I just invite you to, to just either sit in your seats or, or come forward and you can receive prayer. We'd love to pray for you. But maybe you're here this morning, uh, evening, and, and you're not someone who's following Jesus. But, but you've got some questions, you're interested, you want to know more. I just want to encourage you. We've got a few things we'd love to point your attention to. We have a course we run called uh, Introducing Jesus. It's a four-week course. It's all just about getting to know more about Jesus, the things he taught and what he did. We would love to connect with you. We have a series called God Versus the World that we run throughout the year, which is all about answering tough questions. If you have more questions, I just 
We'd love to speak with you more. We'd love to speak with you more. Just put it on your Connect form and we'd love to be in touch with you and help you to connect more with Jesus. But lastly, I just want to address someone who's here this morning who maybe for the first time has heard the cry. Heard that cry of victory. Heard that victory cry and you feel like you're amongst the crowds on V-Day. You feel like suddenly you're in the throng and you want to celebrate. You want to give your life to that Savior and King. Give your life to Jesus. I just want to encourage you to receive Christ and all He's done. All it takes is a prayer. All it takes is to respond with faith, to repent and believe, to trust Jesus as your Lord and King. We would love to do that with you. You can respond by coming down the front for prayer or by speaking to the person who brought you along this evening. We would love to help you on your journey. For the rest of us, why don't I close in prayer as we move to celebrate the great victory cry. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you this evening for your victory cry. We thank you, Lord, for the cross on which you conquered suffering, you conquered sacrifice, you conquered Satan and all things opposing you. We thank you, Lord, that through the cross we can be made right with you apart from any good thing that we do, Lord, that simply through trusting in you we can know you. Lord, I pray for these people tonight, for us all tonight. May there not be a single soul who leaves here tonight without knowing you, Lord without trusting in you, Lord. May we come to see and glory in you, our great King, and all you've done. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.